she had each of our kids in the kitchen with her from the moment they were like two, three years old. And every single time our kids come in the kitchen and make something for themselves, they love it. It could be the most disgusting stuff. Our nine-year-old has come in the kitchen and he makes these concoctions of just things you wouldn't imagine, things you wouldn't try. And it's like, hey, dad, you want to try this? And I'm like, dude, that looks disgusting. No, but he's devouring it, not because it actually tastes good, but because there's like a sense of ownership in what he ate and what he created. So I think probably the number one thing I would say is like, give your kids ownership, like write it on a piece of paper. Carter, you're in charge of the carrots. Cadence, you're in charge of the rice or whatever the case is. I'll tear it up, man. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health. And along the way, we have conversations with thought leaders about research-backed information so you can take your health into your own hands. This is a whole new level. One of the hardest things as a parent is being a parent. That is a very true statement. But when it comes to things like health and wellness, when it comes to education, creating a foundation for kids to grow up and and to really be aware of why physical activity is important, why eating well is important, and what exactly are the differences between healthy foods and maybe foods that should be avoided. Those being things that have a ton of sugar in them or things that are highly processed. Well, this can become an uphill battle as a parent. Sometimes it feels like you're losing. It almost feels like that every day, especially with young kids. And so Austin McGuffey, the metabolism mentor, whom many regular listeners are probably familiar with by now, he and I sat down and we discussed this idea of parenting. What do we share? Well, we're both into metabolic health and we both have four kids. So we see the challenges firsthand on a day-to-day basis. It's not always easy to build this foundation of food at a young age, but it's one of those things that you keep going with and going with until it sticks. Anyway, it was a really fun conversation to dig in and riff on the idea of being a parent and raising kids. Here's where we kick things off. What are the biggest things that you do with your kids to build a healthy, just call it a healthy foundation around health, exercise, wellness, this whole idea without pontificating, without sort of like pushing it on them? Um, man, honestly, it is, (laughs) it's funny because I've done podcasts in the past where like I have all the answers and then all the answers that I gave don't work for me anymore with like what I'm doing with my kids because they're changing and their needs are changing. Um, I think probably the best thing that we do is just to be good examples, right? Like my wife and I, um, we both work out or try our best to work out. Um, and we eat real food, good food for ourselves. And so naturally, like when they come into the kitchen and they want to feed themselves, they have access to the same food that we have access to. And that's food that we eat to, you know, to nourish our bodies. There's not too much junk that we have in the home that they have access to. Um, Because truth be told, when they're not at home, 
they kind of do what they want, man. Like, I wish that I could brag and say, oh, well, you know, we teach our kids to eat protein before carbs and fat. And like, when we eat, cook breakfast for them, sure, if I'm standing over them, I'm like, hey, you know, eat those eggs first. But then when they're out at school and we're there monitoring, just, you know, they're visiting and they're walking around with a a Nutri-Grain bar. <laughs> like, I know for a fact they didn't have any protein before eating that. And it's just like, oh, well, <laughs> it is what it is. I tried my best and they're, they're kids. Kids are going to be kids. Do you talk to them about like what's healthy and what's not healthy? Yeah. It's, it's weird though, because it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to put these insecurities in, in their mind of sort of like fear, like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't have that. You can never have that. They're kids. They're, they're sponges. They're trying to understand the world as it is. But like, how do you do that as far as creating that foundation around like what's healthy and what's not healthy? Cause yeah. because they're kids. Well, we actually, we don't tell them that food is either healthy or unhealthy. To be honest with you, we kind of tell them that food is a tool that can take you where you want to go. And so I kind of like paint a picture like you have a toolbox and depending on how you want to feel and the type of day you want to have, that's how you should choose the food that you want to eat. So while candy is, you know, by most people's standards, unhealthy, explaining that to the kids, it's like, I, I can say that it's unhealthy, but it doesn't click. What clicks for them is, hey, if you eat this candy, you're going to feel bad. And them feeling bad doesn't click either, honestly. it's You're going to feel bad, and then you're going to be in a bad mood, and then you're going to be sleepy, and then you're going to be cranky, and then um, you're going to be arguing with your sisters. And then when we start explaining the ramifications of the food, that's that's what clicks to them. It's not mm. so much whether food is healthy or unhealthy. It's what is the outcome of eating these foods? Um, and then kind of leaving it up to them to make educated decisions from there. What have you done when, like, there's always a scenario of a kid's going to sit down and eat, let's say some kind of meat, Brussels sprouts, like you're having a pretty healthy whole foods meal. And let's assume it's easier when they're younger and they kind of eat everything. But as they mature and they're influenced by like media for sure, or just like Billy around the block, like their friend that, well, Billy eats this all the time. (laughs) Billy eats bear paws or like whatever junk, right? Lucky charms. How do you pull back from that? Because they start to get influenced and then it becomes harder where, they put up the no, even though you can talk about the toolbox. Like what, what have you done in those situations? I don't want to say I forced them to eat like the healthier food, but um, I don't know. I guess I do what's called like leveraging. If my kids want to like watch a movie or play a game or go outside, it's like, great. I'm happy that you want to do those things. If you really want to do it, then this is my condition. And sometimes I, I don't always feel good about doing that because I don't want them to feel like they have to meet a performance metric or meet my standard in order to do the things that they want to do. But at the same time, like they're kids and this is a very important like time of their lives as far as like the building blocks of their bodies and the things that we're putting in them. So, um, sometimes it's like, Hey, you're not going to watch this movie until you eat those Brussels sprouts or, um, something like with my three-year-old, I'm like, in his face, I'm like, all right, we got four Brussels sprouts left. I'm going to cut it in half. We're going to eat half at a time and I'm eating it with them. So, um, 
yeah, it, it really just like depends on the kid, depends on the circumstance and depends on what carrot I can hold over their head. This is Dr. Casey Means, co-founder and chief medical officer of Levels. If you've heard me talk on other podcasts before, you know that I believe that tracking your glucose and optimizing your metabolic health is really the ultimate life hack. We know that cravings, mood instability and energy levels and weight are all tied to our blood sugar levels. And of course, all the downstream chronic diseases that are related to blood sugar are things that we can really greatly improve our chances of avoiding if we keep our blood sugar in a healthy and stable level throughout our lifetime. So I've been using CGM now on and off for the past four years since we started Levels. And I have learned so much about my diet and my health. I've learned the simple swaps that keep my blood sugar stable, like flax crackers instead of wheat-based crackers. I've learned which fruits work best for my blood sugar. Like I do really well with pears and apples and oranges and berries, but grapes seem to spike my blood sugar off the chart. I'm also a notorious night owl, and I've really learned with using Levels if I get to bed at a reasonable hour and get good quality sleep, my blood sugar levels are so much better. And that has been so motivating for me on my health journey. It's also been helpful for me in terms of keeping my weight at a stable level much more effortlessly than it has been in the past. So you can sign up for levels at levels.link slash podcast. Now let's get back to this episode. Do you go shopping with the kids? When I have the patience. <laughs> if I have the patience, I'll take them with me. Um, but to be honest with you, most of the time, my wife and I, we do the shopping on our own. I think that, I mean, you can relate. Like, we have four kids, and we both work from home, and <clears throat> we're with them all the time. Grocery trips are kind of like <laughs> a moment for us to escape the madness of the house. Um, so unless one of us needs to be home alone, like, for example, like right now, Fantasia, she's probably taking um, our three-year-old with her to the store actually right now. Um, but like, it, we definitely don't have like a general rule, like, oh, I'm taking my kid with me. But we do go over like our groceries in the house when we come home with them, like they're in the kitchen with us, like taking stuff out and putting it away. Mm. Yeah, we've got um, like a little farmer's market that that's where we get, go to every Saturday they go, they help to pick out all the produce. Okay. That's where we basically get our like produce and meat. And that's all they, they, they don't really carry packaged goods. It's just yeah. that. So that becomes really easy, but th where it's hard is like, you can get the grocery store meltdown where it, or, like they, they aren't terrible, but sometimes they're like, I really want that thing. <laughs> it's yeah. easier is, is terrible as it is to say, it's easier to just like throw that thing in the cart and get on with it. And it doesn't mean that you're like leaning into giving them everything they want, but sometimes the easier thing, and it's so easy from an outside perspective to be like, well, I wouldn't do that. How, like, no, I would be, I would be a lot more firm. And it's like, when you're in that situation and you're maybe you're on like a tight timeline, you got to get to the next place you're going. Um, you, you don't want to like the, the kid is like kind of upset. And you're just like, put the thing in the car. Let's go. So like, well, what have you done around that? Like do you have sort of strategies you, you use? Man, I give in probably just like the majority of people. Um, I try to like, so I'm, I do my best to like prioritize protein. I know that's like a, it's like one of those sayings, right? Prioritize protein. 
Um, but that's, that's actually, it's really important in our home. Um, so perfect example. I had a call with you, uh, Mike and Tony, and we were just like talking about content. Um, Fantasia was not feeling well. So I'm like the go-to dad and Carter, our three-year-old, he's really hungry and he's asking for, um, a granola bar and like a piece of candy. We have like a stash of candy and he's like, you know, you can imagine you're getting ready for a call. I'm trying to gather all my things and move around. And I've got a three-year-old in my ear and I have so much bandwidth for like things I can give my attention to. And unfortunately he wasn't high on the list at the time. So in that moment, it's like, shoot, man, here's exactly what you're asking for (laughs) so that I can be quiet. Normally we have like, I don't know, like, you know, beef sticks or something on hand to give them before we give in to what they want. But in this situation, man, it was just like, here, dude, <laughs> just take this and you'll be okay. I hope you'll be okay. Yeah. The hard thing is like kids become accustomed to that where they start right. to go. I know, like, I know the game. I know, especially like the kids are so much smarter than we will think they are at times where they're like, I see dad is on a call right now. I know like they put, they connect the dots. I know that means that like, he's probably going to say, no, I don't have time. So they know they can get their way. And that's where it gets really hard is you can do your best to not have the package goods in the house and you can do your best with things. But the reality is things happen. Like our, our neighbor, great example, lovely lady. She's 86 years old and she comes over with like buckets of, Halloween candy or Christmas stuff all the time. And yeah. so you're sitting there going like, what do you do? Right. What they they do? know that thing. They know, they know they want that thing that they just saw. Yep. And so then you have to balance all that. Yeah. I mean, I think that a firm no goes a long way sometimes. Right. But I can't even say as like metabolism mentor, as like the dad who, you know, preaches about kids nutrition, man, I got a, a bucket full of Halloween candy in my closet right now <laughs> that the kids know is there. And every day when they get home from school, it's like, Hey, can I have a piece of candy? And again, when you have like all the things going on, and I think that's what's so tough about taking care of kids taking care of them, number one, but then feeding them well. Number two is that, Ben, you and I are busy too. You know, like we're still trying to handle all the things that we have going on. And it's really hard to slow down to, you know, to basically like prioritize and make conscious decisions about what we're putting in their bodies. Um, so, I mean, I, I have moments where I cave, but I think that you have to give yourself grace for that. If, the other 80% of the time when you're not caving, you're feeding your kids good food. I think that the human species naturally, we are like risk takers to some degree, right? I was listening to a podcast with um, Casey and um, Dr. Perlmutter talking about uric acid. And he was saying that um, primitively, like humans, do we become more risk takers when we're seeking, you know, food, nourishing our bodies. And I think that a lot of us as parents, especially we're like, how much junk can my kids have without jeopardizing their health? Right. That's like a balance. It's tough because if I give my kid a Snickers, right. What are the chances that he's going to accumulate a bunch of, you know, um, like fructose in his liver and have fatty liver from one Snicker a week? Chances are not very likely. Right. So that makes that decision a little bit easier for me. Um, so it's like a constant, like, what can I get away with, with my kids while still, you know, making sure that they're healthy. And that looks different for everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that one's really interesting. And it's hard too because you you don't want to give in all the time. You want to make sure that they they're experiencing the world in a way that feels positive, feels somewhat neutral, like somewhat relatable maybe to like their peers because you don't want to be like the hippie kid that <laughs> it's like oh yeah that's like <laughs> like your dad like your dad's just a health nut right like that's because it definitely you become known as that yeah yeah and it sucks that. but it's it's i mean it's all done with positive intent but sometimes like last night was a great example where you can see as soon as you start to see patterns and you see them clearly uh our two girls penelope and zoe really wanted to have ice cream and it was like a little bit later like not 10 p.m late but it was like maybe whatever 6 37 so they might have had the ice cream around then they go to mm-hmm. bed shortly after mm-hmm. and they just both wake up like terrors because they probably mm-hmm. had a terrible sleep mm-hmm. right and they yep. had not they just had like a pile of sugar before bed and these are things but you you're pushing back against it like you're saying like no you can't have this here's why and there's the point where you're like okay you're gonna wake up your brother (laughs) stop right right so then you feel it's it's, you're caught in between like these two worlds and it's just like a very real parenting thing yep i think that so it's funny we had a similar experience this was like our framework around halloween like and we're usually very strict and we are definitely those parents where people like they look at us before they hand our kids snacks like oh shoot am i gonna get in trouble for this but for halloween we took the approach like let's moderate their candy intake so they went around the neighborhood and each of them came home with like i mean the amount of candy that they have access to is absolutely, it's ridiculous. Like, and then they expected for us to let them keep the candy in their, in their closets, which was, you know, obviously not happening. But what we did was we went to each of their rooms and we said, Hey, pick your favorite 10 pieces of candy. And I want you to put that away in a secret place. And I'm going to let you moderate that throughout the week. I'm going to suggest having one piece of candy a week, but let me see how you do on your own. Two of the kids, (laughs) my girls, Cadence and Kaylin smashed it, right? Actually, Cadence still has some more, but they both, they didn't moderate how we taught them to, which is fine. They're five and seven years old, but they both ended up getting sick just a couple of days later. Um, our our seven-year-old, who's very perceptive, she had uh, stomach aches. Um, her mood was just completely off for a few days. And it was a really good opportunity for uh, Fantasia and I to sit down with them and be like, look, this is why we say no. And so I think kids are very smart. I think if we actually sit down and explain the no to them, even though they fight us on it, they understand. And I'm okay with that. That's a victory for me. Like, even if you're still fighting me on it, like I could look at my seven-year-old in her eyes and there's like a small smile at the corner of her mouth. And that lets me know that she gets it. But it's like, look, girl, you feel terrible. You're yelling at me right now <laughs> about how hungry you are. So your blood sugar is probably like all over the place. And this is a really good opportunity for you to understand why I tell you no about eating candy all the time. So I think allowing the room for your kids to experience that is important. It's just like adults experiencing failure. Like, how are we going to learn and grow if we're not you know, constantly trying and failing things. And I look at kids' nutrition the same way. Like if you're not eating poor food and and understanding the ramifications of it, then you're not going to understand why I say no. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it was, it was a really good learning opportunity for them and for us. Not giving 
a kid things like Gatorade every day. Right. Gatorade period. But just like you, you, there are very real situations where you see it. And it's actually like super sad when you see kids just crushing like 500 milliliter bottles of Coke. And you're like, man, you're yeah. three. You shouldn't, no one should be drinking that. Right. But a three year old, a three year old, like Gatorade. And sometimes parents do it because they think like Gatorade is nourishing or like right. just marketing gone wrong. Yep. So you shouldn't be doing that, obviously. But where it gets hard is like there's going to be, the mac and cheese that the kid wants, right? And that's just mm -hmm. real. And there's mm -hmm. going to be the process things. And where it gets harder, at least what we find is harder, is kids go to school, they're around a friend group, and they come home with a lot of outside influence. Yeah. Or they watch videos. They see something on YouTube that is like some show, right? The Stella yeah. show. Whatever show it is that the kids are watching and then... <laughs> They want that, There's right? That, and that's yeah. super hard. That feels like an uphill battle all the time. It is an uphill battle, man. Um, yeah, it's it's really tough. But I think that's that's again, it's like a part of the learning experience in a sense. And it's those are good. It's just really important to like talk to the kids as if they're adults in a sense, where it's like, hey, look, something that my parents told me all the time when I was growing up. Anytime I was like, Well, mom, such and such had this and she was like well that's not my kid <laughs> and it's a good opportunity for me to not say it in the same way but it's like look like we have uh, a set of standards that we live by in this house and there's a reason for that and these are the list of reasons why so our nine-year-old camden he's at the age now where he's starting to understand so he comes home from trick-or-treating and he's got this bag full of candy and he didn't even ask to keep it like the other ones did. He said, hey, dad, here, I know you're going to take it anyway, but here, I already had some candy earlier, so I don't need this anymore. And that's like after nine years of like having these adult-like conversations with him about, you know, <clears throat> how important it is for him to not only not do what everyone else is doing, but to understand like how this stuff is, is affecting your body. And mm -hmm. everything that you see out there in the world, which is really tough to have these conversations with kids because you want them to be sensitive to other people's struggles. But it's like, hey, look, buddy, this is the rate of people that are, are sick like from food. So you start talking about um, kids with fatty liver disease, um, which is you know increasing. And then you start talking about um, prediabetes statistics and just all the, the downstream complications of the food that most people are eating in this country. And it's like, hey, you don't want that. And I, they understand that they don't want it either. So mm -hmm. what do you do for talking through physical activity? Like, how do you position it to them? Because there's so many things that kids, I mean, your kids run around outside all the time. That's physical activity. They don't need to be doing jumping jacks to like right. be exercising. But like, how do you talk about the importance of that? Well, it's interesting because a few years ago, we lived in a neighborhood where there were not any kids. So there were no kids in the neighborhood. And so it was really tough to break down the importance of like exercise to kids because I don't, I'm not sure how well structured exercise programs work for kids whose brains aren't like fully developed. Um, they're just supposed to be outside playing and having fun. Uh, so now fortunately, like we prioritize moving to a place where there were a lot of kids and that the culture of the neighborhood is go outside and play. Um, but even when the kids do have like, especially our girls, like, I don't know, our nine year old, he's, we 
rarely see him. He's being raised by the streets right now. Um, but our two girls, they love to be inside. Um, and sometimes it's just like, we just ask them, hey, like, have you moved your body? How do you feel? Like, do you feel tired? You're feeling lazy? Well, there's a reason for that. And it's not so much me telling them to do it. It's come with me. Like, let's go outside together and I'll get a football, a soccer ball, um, ask them to show me some of their favorite gymnastics moves. Um, and it becomes less like me telling them how important it is to move and me showing them like, hey, come with me so that you can see why this is important to me. And then you do it, too. And that kind of makes it a little bit more fun than uh, more fun than preachy. When you start leaning into what they're interested in, then it becomes less of a a forcing function where they're like, oh, I don't want to do that thing. Like if a kid doesn't want to play football, kid doesn't want to mm -hmm. go on their bike, like that's not of interest Then finding the other things. And I say it because our, so our eldest is eight and he's super into dancing. Like he yeah. loves, he loves dancing. He loves ballet. He loves all these things. And he practices, like he's just sort of like taught himself by watching the wiggles and he watches all these videos, but that's physical. We, we talked to him about like, how great that physical movement is for his body. And he, he'll do it for hours, but he's yeah. not super interested in going outside to like play soccer or something. It's just not mm -hmm. of interest. And so it's like leaning into those things and saying like, it's totally cool to do that. Now it's like <laughs> the caveat is balancing the whole idea of screen time with like, you're doing something that's <laughs> physically active. There's screen time involved whole different conversation, but right. it, it's important to be outside, but it's more important to be moving period, to right. be doing things that are good for your body as opposed to just being sedentary. And so as long as they understand that, like he, he calls it dancing now, but like, he, or he call he says music, like, he's like, Hey, can I have like some music time? And you're like, yeah, man, for sure. And he'll literally just put on Spotify and that's like, fine. Yep. But he's doing that. And that's like a thing that's separate from everything else. And so it, we never want it to be one of those things. Like if you're not outside, like if you're not wanting to play hockey or you're not wanting to do whatever, like that's fine. Right. Cause then they don't it, like it and they feel disengaged. Exactly. If you really like think about what is happening inside of the body, when you move your body, you know, like we understand that muscles, um, well, first of all, building muscle and having muscle is really important. Um, and then when you understand that, how muscles interact with glucose in the blood and how all of that helps to create a more metabolically healthy environment in your body, then you can look at different types of activity differently instead of just thinking about structured exercise or playing sports. But like, shoot, my wife and I, we um, run a physical education program for uh, our kids' school. And so when we first started two years ago, this is a, a self-directed learning academy. So these kids are pretty much navigating their way through their curriculum, being guided, of course, by adults. But for the most part, it's their responsibility. Uh, when we first started doing the um, exercises with them, I went there and I had my whistle. <laughs> I had a workout plan. It's, hey, <laughs> push-ups, squats, lunges, all these things. And the kids were excited about it at first. But after a few weeks, just like adults, <laughs> they kind of, lo we, lo we lost their attention a little bit. Some of them stuck around because they were actually interested in doing it. But the ones that had no interest, they didn't participate. And because they didn't participate, they weren't exercising. And so after a year and a half of doing that, I took a step back and I was like, man, how can we get everybody to be active without 
and keep their morale high? And the answer was spend time with them individually to figure out what type of movement works for them. So now instead of PE being everybody doing the same thing, I've got some kids over here doing some resistance training because they enjoy it. I've got kids over here doing dancing, some over here doing cheer. Um, I've got a few over here doing parkour and it's all accomplishing the same goal. It's just, it just looks different for everybody. So like you said, man, very important, leaning into a type of activity that encourages them to to just move their body, whatever it is. Like that's, I think that's just the name of the game is finding interest in what they're interested in. Yeah. As, as soon as it becomes like a game, like where mm-hmm. they feel like they're participating in something and it doesn't mean that there's some game with some like outcome riding a bike. It's not necessarily a game, but it feels like something that's fluid and um, the kids can enjoy. Yep. Very different than be here at this time to do this thing. And the same principle goes with eating, like sit here, eat this thing because I told you so. Right. Like when that's the case, when you start to push these, these fundamentals or this foundation on kids, like it's natural that they would push back. It's a, it's the same reason I think that education is so broken in so many ways because it's like, Hey, when was the Spanish Armada? And some kids are like, man, I don't know. And it's like you get an F. Like, but the kid could be like unbelievable at understanding physics or something. Right. right? And, so, and, but physics, let's assume physics isn't part of the curriculum. And so this kid is sitting there going like, what? Right. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same thing of if a kid feels that they um, are being told to do exercise in a certain way or to eat things because you say it's like, they might like great examples. Like a kid might love broccoli and hate Brussels sprouts. And if you keep trying to push the Brussels sprouts and they're just like, I don't want it. And then all they want is the candy. And you were like literally <laughs> one degree away from <laughs> having that healthy lock-in. That's me, dude. I had that experience with my seven-year-old. I would make, uh, she likes broccoli and kale. And sometimes green beans, anything other than that, she just, she just refuses. So now I get in the kitchen and I'm not mindful of her dietary preferences all the time. I'm trying to cook for, you know, five other people in the house. Um, but I'll throw on some carrots, for example, uh, roasted carrots. And she's like, dad, and she's like throwing a fit. I'm not going to eat that. And then, you know, naturally, like as a parent, when your kid tells you what they're not going to do, it's like, oh, hold on. <laughs> like That's not how this is supposed to work. So then it's like, um, you try hard for this not to happen, but it becomes an ego thing where it's like, well, no, you're going to eat this because this is the food that I made and you're going to eat what's on my plate. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's, it's a total fail because she, she clearly said, she said, dad, I'm not going to eat that because you already know I like spinach, broccoli, kale, or whatever it is. And I don't like carrots. And I'm like, my ego is like, no, you're going to eat these carrots because I'm your dad and I cooked it. And then like the non-egotistical side of me is like, bro, why can't I just make sure I have broccoli and kale in the fridge at all times to to feed her? So yeah, it's, I had to learn that the hard way. It always feels like parenting is one of those things that no matter what you do, it feels like a failure because it's <laughs> your, your kid smacks his head, gets stitches, oh, yeah. you feel like the failure, right? Um <laughs> Yep. The kid is on a good path for eating and then they start having maybe outside influence or they're pushing back on certain things. It feels like failure. The kids may be having challenges in school, feel like a failure. And so it's yeah. one of those things where to raise balance, maybe that's the word like balance yeah. kids that sort of have this foundation for 
physical activity, health and wellness, and understand this at, at a very basic level so that it doesn't feel like you never want the kid to be like, well, I don't eat the croissant because my dad says no. Like, <laughs> you don't want that because then they've got like this, they've got this unhealthy relationship with food in general where it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, like time and a place, you're going to do it. Just understand what's going to happen. Doesn't exactly. mean it's an all the time thing. It might be a right. sometime. It's like a treat thing. We're not, we're not doing cupcakes every day. We're not doing whatever it is every day. But now and again, we're going to live a balanced life and to raise kids that, like you, across the gamut of education and physical activity, food, and just general health and wellness. It's very hard. So it always feels like you're sort of like behind, behind, yeah. behind and, and doing it and coming and to terms was... with, you know, coming to terms that it's like, it's not an easy thing. It's just back to the beginning. It's like parenting is real. It is hard, bro. And that's why it always feels like failure. Because, like, imagine, like, have you ever tried to ride a hoverboard? No. Don't do it. It's <laughs> They're awful. Not for adults. Um, but I was trying to ride a hoverboard, and you have to have, like, really good balance. And I'm not sure why kids do it so well. Maybe their center of gravity is lower. Um, but, man, I, I got on this hoverboard, and I'm trying to balance myself. But, you know, when you balance yourself, you you continuously overcorrect. And that's what it's like, like, having kids and trying to balance. is like, I see myself going forward and I'm like, oh, let me lean back. And I'm going too far back. And I'm like, well, no, let me lean forward. And so it's like a constant, like a tug of war. And I think that, um, especially with nutrition, with the kids, it's when I see my kids and they've had like, and it's so hard to avoid, bro. Like if you've got birthday party after birthday party after birthday party at school and I'm not there, you're coming home eating cupcakes and then you're, you're continuously craving sugar. I'm going to you know, aggressively push in the opposite direction. And now it's no sugar and eat these vegetables. And now I'm juicing every day. And we go from one extreme to the next, trying to find like a state of like homeostasis. And it's, it's really tough because you have constant, like, you have just consistent things that are influencing like the outcome and the direction that things are going. Um, and that's why, you know, no, it's easy to feel like a failure education, nutrition, shoot, man, marriage, (laughs) all of it. It's all, it is all, it's all a package. It is a package. Yep. So what, what do you have as far as like takeaways or advice that any parents who have kids that might not be open to trying new things or one time I asked, cause like Penelope is a great example. She's six. She was super good about eating chicken and Brussels sprouts and just having a good foundation of eating whole food. And now she's like very much on the, I want chicken fingers. I want Mac and cheese train. And you right. right? And then you get like all this outside influence that you're like, Oh, this is a lot harder to get off. I want McDonald's. I want Domino's. And you're like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Maybe once in a while, but we're not doing that. And then it becomes like a, they ask every day and you're like, where did this come from? So what, what advice do you have for like parents who have kids that might not be open to trying new foods or how do you like re what would be your approach for like reestablishing some of these food introductions? Is it that like asking your daughter, what is it that you do like? Yeah, I think that's where it starts. I think that um, I've heard one of my friends say that 90% of parenting is marketing, right? It's all about how you present it. And so I think if I, I, 
two completely different scenarios, well, the same scenario, two different times. I'm trying to get my three-year-old to eat these roasted carrots. And the first time it's 7.30, so it's already late. I'm low on patience and I've got a whole bunch of other stuff in my mind. So it's like, bruh, eat those carrots right now <laughs> or else, you know, I don't know. I'm going to take, take your toy <laughs> or something. And that's my, like my lower self, I guess, responding to it. But then on the flip side of that, when I'm, you know, it's six o'clock and I have so much more patience and I really want him to eat it. I sit down right next to him. And first of all, we get in the kitchen together. So I let him help me season the carrots. It's like you sprinkle the salt, you sprinkle the pepper. These are your carrots. Like you're going to take ownership of this. This is your dish for the evening. And then when we sit down, um, I take the first bite and I'm like, man, Carter, you did, you did a good job. You put your foot in these carrots, bro. This is, <laughs> this is delicious. And then it's like a, it, it tricks them. And then he's like, you know what? I did put my foot in these carrots. This tastes good. And it's like, man, it's been like that with every single one of our kids. And I have to credit uh, my wife, Fantasia, for that because she made it a point early on, not even really knowing what she was doing for real. Maybe she did. But she had each of our kids in the kitchen with her from the moment they were like two, three years old. And every single time our kids come in the kitchen and make something for themselves, they love it. It could be the most disgusting stuff. Our nine-year-old has come in the kitchen and he makes these concoctions of just things you wouldn't imagine, things you wouldn't try. And it's like, hey, dad, you want to try this? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> that looks disgusting. No, but he's devouring it, not because it actually tastes good, but because there's like a sense of ownership mm. in what he ate and what he created. <laughs> so I think probably the number one thing I would say is like, give your kids ownership, like write it on a piece of paper. Carter, you're in charge of the carrots. Cadence, you're in charge of the rice or whatever the case is. Um, and it's, they'll, they'll tear it up, man. Tear it up. That's like, that's behavioral economics hat tip to Dan Ariely, the Ikea effect, where it's like you overvalue everything that you make or you like put effort into making. So that's why, how much did you pay for that Ikea desk? It was a hundred bucks. You go to sell it. Well, that thing's worth $200 for sure right. because you made it, right? But it happens when kids cook, like if you get kids cooking, they start to learn about the food. They learn about how it all comes together from an ingredient standpoint and even if things are relatively simple making eggs doesn't matter what it is they understand this and then they feel that they've they've contributed to doing this even cutting the avocado they they own that right exactly they help to do that and so they feel more inclined to eat those foods and i think that's the important thing is you can put some kids in a classroom and you can put up all these posters and help them learn about like this is broccoli and broccoli is good for you or you can just get them to make the damn broccoli and like, <laughs> they're probably going to learn a lot more. Exactly. Cooks, you know, how to exactly. Cook. And then come on the back end. Like um, some kids are not like really they're They haven't had like the neural pathways connected to truly like understand the impact of eating certain foods, like on their body. They're just not capable of understanding. So you got like, you got to get on their level and give them something that they can understand. Like, Hey, the, even if you don't understand why you should be eating broccoli, if you just make this, if you get involved in the process, we do this with the kids at the school. It's some of them vehemently 
oppose vegetables. Like, I don't eat vegetables, but we'll come with some spinach and some celery and a whole bunch of other stuff. And everybody put the gloves on. And it's like, we're just going to juice this, okay? We're going to make some juice. We've got some apples and some ginger to you know, spice it up a little bit. But they get involved in making it and they drink it. And so they don't always like it, <laughs> but they'll at least try it be- and expose themselves to it because they were involved in the process. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, man, get these kids in the kitchen and let them let them create stuff. Yeah, because we, we've got these like irrational biases towards what a food means. So like I think anecdotally kids grow up and they're like, ooh, spinach. Yeah. Meanwhile, they've never tried it. They don't know, right? You hear the anecdote of like, oh, spinach, that's like the healthy thing. That's gross. Or right. Whatever vegetable it might be. And so as soon as you can get them to like it, you make cream spinach or something. That's a lot different than just eating a handful of raw spinach, right? Right. Very, very different. And so it's like you make the spinach taste like the mac and cheese. Yeah. Uh, different, right? A no, lot Seriously. Different. That's a really big hack. Like I was making vegetables all the time and it took me having a conversation with my seven-year-old. Her emotional intelligence is like, it's just like up there. So she's teaching me about myself all the time. But she's like eating this food and she's like, it just doesn't taste good. And I'm thinking that you don't like vegetables, but no, it really doesn't taste good. Like cook good food, like do your best to make your food taste good. That's something that I never really like. I don't know. I don't know why. Like I'm a whole grown man. And I didn't know how to make, you know, broccoli taste good. I grew up eating steamed broccoli. That's what my parents made for us. And that's the only way I knew to make it. And so I was, you know, putting a boiling pot of water and steaming broccoli over it and then putting a little bit of salt on it and saying here, but then it's all chewy and it's not easy. It's not, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't palatable for them. So earlier on, I was like, oh, my kids don't like broccoli. But I was like, no, bro, you just suck at cooking. <laughs> like, you know, throw some olive oil on it, some salt, pepper, some garlic powder, and throw it in the oven and roast it instead. And then it tastes completely different. Same nutrients, maybe not as bioavailable since we cooked it, you know, to whatever. But it's it exposes them to broccoli. And it's like, oh, it's not that they don't like broccoli. It's just that my dad sucked at cooking. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's the same with like chips too, right? Where it's like chips are this thing that that kids might want. I don't know if they actually want the potato chip, though. What they want is something crunchy and salty and, and right. small that they put in their mouth. So you turn that into kale chips with Parmesan on top of it or uh, Brussels sprout, like peel the leaves, little salt, little olive oil. Like you make those into chips pretty quickly. Yeah. They're still in their eyes. They're still chips. They're still exactly. getting the crunch and the salt. And it's like a lot different than just crushing the like deep fried potatoes. Exactly. Yeah. Those are not doing anyone any favors. Right. And it's the same thing goes for like for sweet stuff. And you can have like instead of the kids eating like candy, they'll come in the kitchen on their own. They'll cut up an apple. They'll throw it in a skillet. And we have like a small jar of uh, maple syrup. And I let them use it like, hey, just throw some maple syrup on some apples and some cinnamon. And they'll eat that instead of going to find like a pack of Skittles or something like that. So finding nutritious ways for your kids to like have that same psychological effect. Like you want something sweet, you want something salty, you want something crunchy, that's fine. I'm just gonna take five extra minutes to think about how to give that to you without compromising your health. And I don't know all the different hacks, but I'm sure if we sat here and like listed them out, we could probably come up with like 150 different ways to help our kids cure their sweet tooth without them actually having something loaded with high fructose corn syrup. 
about 150 ways to cure. <laughs> hey, there we go. 150 hacks for kids. There you go. That's the next project together. <laughs> Got you. That's it. We can crank that out. That's cool. I have a question for you, Ben. Yeah, man. So you have four kids That's and it. you are the head of growth for this very cool tech company that lets people see how food affects their health. So you're yes, constantly sir. exposed to all this data about all the things. How do you, especially like with your kids, like pizza, for example, how do you reconcile in your mind, like letting your kids enjoy these things, knowing that <laughs> you're trying to solve the metabolic health crisis? Ah, interesting question. So it's not a, uh, a battle that you can win with all of them, but with some of them, mm-hmm. sequencing. So, two of one of the kids too young to like do anything because he's one, but the other one's one, three, six, eight. Mm-hmm. So the three-year-old and the eight-year-old really like salad, and so you sequence it. Here you go. Here's, Here's your fresh. Caesar salad. You make it, yeah. <laughs> make it fresh. It's good to go, or some other type of salad, and they'll eat yeah. that before they eat the pizza and they're not crushing like nine slices of pizza. They might have like two slices of pizza and mm-hmm. they'll enjoy it. And so right. not creating fear around that. Sometimes when we, when we make it at home, that's if we uh, pick up or something like that. But if we make it at home, then we'll make it on these, we've got these like flatbreads that are, um, they're basically like zero net carbs cause they're full of fiber and they're pretty thin and stuff. And, they eat that and they don't really know. You just have to sort of hack your way into it. And so that is a lot different than doing the, like, here's the dominoes over and over. Don't get me wrong. We do the dominoes from time Mm -hmm. to time because they're kids and because that's their, that's what they want. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that I'm a huge fan of doing it, but it's a matter of balancing it. And it's like, if you're going to have this, then we're going to have salad or whatever it is with it. And, work your way towards it. I think that's kind of the key is like working the way towards it. Cause it's mm. not like a one and done, like, okay, mm-hmm. you can't win every meal. You can't, right. but you can over time create the foundation. So they're opting into their own choices. Like they make the choices themselves, mm-hmm. whether or not they want to eat that kind of like what you said, where it's like, as long as they understand the reason they feel bad, then they, they start to avoid those foods on their own. They're like, hey, I'm not going to eat that thing because it doesn't make me feel super good. Yeah, that's interesting. Sequencing. We try that. We Well, we do that with our kids now with protein mostly. None of our kids like salad. We haven't gotten to that level of parenting yet. Um, but that's interesting because a lot of parents, man, I, I get questions all the time. Like, how do I feed my kids healthy food? Um, and despite the exposure that I have to like all this and the knowledge and all these things, it's 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 a hard question to answer every single time because everybody's kids are just, everybody's kids are so different. Your situation is different. And the environment that we all live in is just, like you said, man, it's an uphill battle. Like last night, for example, we're in at the hospital, a three-year-old gash on his head and we didn't eat dinner. <laughs> it's like, bro, there's an Arby's right across the street. <laughs> and it's like, what do we do? Am I going to like wait and starve my kids until we get home because I want to avoid this fast food option? No, I'm not going to do that, man. So we're going to eat these processed roast beef mini sandwiches and you guys are going to be fed and we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to try again tomorrow. And that's just that's that's just the environment that we live in. So it's hard 
to exist in the world, but not not conform to the ways of the world, which is like a spiritual, a twist on the spiritual concept, but for nutrition. And that's something that we all have to task ourselves to do is to exist in the world, which is like pursuing balance, but not in, not succumbing to the ways of the world where we're constantly exposing ourselves to these things all the time and, you know, ushering our kids to a life of, you know, all the things that come with poor nutrition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it goes it ties into the traveling too, like traveling as an adult, you can make the decision. So let's say you're traveling, whether you're, you're road tripping it or hitting an airplane, it's like the choices are relatively the same. I assume mm-hmm. relatively, right. It's a lot easier as an adult. Cause you can just decide to like, Oh, I'm going to fast. I'm going to yep. like, I'll eat when I eat, I'll grab like the, at an airport, let's say you'll grab um, raw cashews or something or raw almonds. Like, things that are still whole food fall within your food philosophy easy enough. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard with kids. It's super right. hard, right? Cause it's like you pull over, there's like the gas station and like some Arby's or some subway or whatever it is. And you're like, this is all there is around here. Yeah. Guess you got to do it <laughs> right. You're on a road trip or you're in an airport and it's just like fast food, fast food, fast food. What do you do? You can't. Right. I mean, food has to be, you know, we all have a, re- a relationship with food. And as much as I wish I could, if I could, like, you know, if I had like the the infinity stones and I could snap my fingers, I wouldn't get rid of half the population, but I would take taste away. I would take taste away <laughs> so that everybody can just eat. Like there's just all the food. There's the only reason you'll eat food is food that benefits you. There's no more bad food because it doesn't taste like anything. But like you said, raw almonds. How am I going to get my five-year-old to eat raw almonds? It tastes like cardboard or like it's, it's just nuts. There's there's nothing to it. But food has to be, it just has to be palatable for kids to enjoy it. And it takes a lot of energy to be planning for when you're taking a road trip, a trip out of the state, or if you're just going on a 30-minute drive. It just takes energy to think about what am I going to feed my kids if they get hungry? And if you catch yourself out here in these streets, and you don't have any food on hand, you you just set yourself up for failure. And it's not even a, it's not even, you can't even blame yourself. It's, it's, well, you can for not preparing, but beyond that, you become a victim to your environment. And that's, I think that's ultimately like what is happening like in this country and with our kids. It's not anybody's fault. Nobody's like purposely poisoning children. Maybe some food companies are, but, you know, individually, we're not purposefully poisoning our children. We're just we're just doing the best we can to feed them. And that oftentimes comes with those low quality food choices. 